Today's podcast is brought to you by The Power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more at thepowerofa.org. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. These threats that Europe is facing, these threats that America are facing because of Islamic terrorists are real and they're growing. Senate Homeland Security Chairman Ron Johnson at a hearing on ISIS earlier this month. The terror attacks in Brussels and Paris have given intelligence analysts new insight into the tactics of the Islamic State and underscored how its approach has veered away from that of al-Qaeda, long the leader in global jihad. ISIS has in many ways become a more formidable adversary for the West because it's learned from what worked and didn't work from al-Qaeda. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ intelligence reporter Ryan Lucas. You write that al-Qaeda's model revolved around plots that were choreographed by the group's central leadership in the tribal areas near Afghanistan and Pakistan, and they provided individuals with training and instructions and then sent them out into the world. Now, how is ISIS hatching its plot? Well, it's important to note that Al-Qaeda's centralized model, that's not the model that they used in every single case. Um, it's a generalization. Now, with the Islamic State, the big difference is, one, the role of central leadership. The man who is believed to be the uh, the head of their external operations branch is a Syrian named Abu Muhammad al-Adnani, who uh, was once held by the U.S. in Iraq. Now, he's viewed as a very kind of hands-off leader who does not micromanage plots in Europe. He's believed to, to be more hands-on in, in operations in, say, Lebanon or the Gulf. But he's somebody, in the case of Europe, he's rather seen as, as more of a facilitator, somebody who can kind of pick out somebody who, you know, an operative who might work well in Europe and then, and then send them off. But generally what they tend to do is just kind of, they'll have their, their folks who have come to Syria and Iraq, people who they think have the language skills, um, the right passport, they can feed them back into to Europe, and then they won't give them a set target or a set date or even a set cell of people to work with. What they'll do is they'll feed them back, and then the operatives are given the leeway and the freedom to kind of decide what targets they want to hit and when they want to hit them. Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr told me that it's almost like they have a, a multiple choice list of options as to what they want to hit. Uh, it's not that they have total freedom, but they have three or four or five options that they get to choose. Now, what makes that difficult for U.S. intelligence is, unlike in the case of al-Qaeda, where there was one target that they wanted to hit, say the World Trade Center, uh, say the Pentagon, they can't take defensive measures to protect any given target that they've gotten chatter on. And they also can't work their way back. There's not a single thread leading from leadership to, to a target or leadership to a cell, um, which makes it more difficult. You can't unwind a plot, unravel a plot quite like you could with al-Qaeda with the Islamic State just because of the flexible and pliable nature of the approach that they've taken. You know, they don't get bogged down in, in specifics. I mean, they, they don't have to hit a symbolic target. The goal is to create casualties and, and chaos and fear. And that's something that they've been able to do quite well by hitting something like the Bataclan Theater or restaurants, um, an airport, train station. They're not hitting the Eiffel Tower. They're hitting 
soft targets. And the Islamic State also has a large pool of individuals to draw from for its operations in Europe. These are sympathizers, sometimes with Western passports. They can move about without needing visas, right? Well, this is twofold. What they have is, is they have a, a huge pool of individuals who have come to Syria and Iraq to fight. And many of them, they had 30,000 foreign fighters have shown up in Syria and Iraq thereabouts. Um, an estimated 5,000 have European passports. Most of them have ended up with the Islamic State. That's a large pool of people to draw from. Al-Qaeda never had these sorts of numbers. Like a Western passport was gold, and that's, that's something that they always struggled to get. Often what you would have is people with uh, Middle Eastern or South Asian passports, and they were not people who had grown up necessarily or spent a lot of time in Western countries and, and couldn't blend in the way that people who have grown up in Belgium, grown up in France, I mean, this is the country of their birth in many cases. Home turf. Exactly. And so that they have a, a pool of people to draw from that they can then send back. And then they also have the network of friends, family, um, associates of people who those operatives grew up with. And that provides a support network that, you know, you can just kind of blend back into the neighborhood, blend back into the, the, the network of friends that, that you have when you come back, which makes it far more difficult for, uh, for intelligence services than just having an isolated cell in a country with nobody else that they can really rely upon. So how are Western intelligence services adapting to this more flexible adversary? Well, I think the argument right now is that they're not adapting very well, uh, at least in, in Europe. The problem there uh, is something that we've talked about before, and that's the, the lack of intelligence sharing within a country. Belgium had a, has had a huge problem with this. Um, then you have a, a significant problem with intelligence sharing among countries in Europe. A lot of times they're more inclined to share with the U.S. than they are with each other. And those sorts of, to use a Washington term, stovepipes um, and siloization is, is very difficult for an adversary, for combating an adversary that is as flexible and, and nimble as the Islamic State is. I think that the U.S. is getting a better grip on, on how the Islamic State functions. But how exactly you combat the flexible nature of this right now is not something that they've totally figured out, which is understandable. I mean, it takes time to get to get one's head around this and to, and to adjust. Are there any weak points in the terrorism approach that ISIS has adopted? Interestingly enough, folks that I spoke to in, in the intelligence community would tend to circle the, the support network idea, because what this, what this has done is it's if you treat it solely as an intelligence problem, then you're not really getting your head around it. If you look at it as a criminal ring, as opposed to uh, a terrorist network, if it's a criminal ring, this is something that law enforcement knows how to deal with. Um, and this involves looking at the associates, uh, you know, network of friends, network of relatives that, that these people have, and kind of cracking it from a law enforcement angle as opposed to a purely counterterrorism angle. Now, what they need is, is both. Uh, officials that I spoke to, they said they need the intelligence angle for, for the international perspective. If somebody in Greece picks up somebody who's a suspected ISIS sympathizer, people in Brussels or in Paris or wherever, they need to, to know about that. So they need that sort of database, that information sharing. But then you also need on the local level in places like Molenbeek and in places like Paris to maybe go after this from more of a, a, a law enforcement angle. And that's something that police in Belgium, police in Paris, that's something that they know how to do. Are there any signs that al-Qaeda is embracing ISIS' more hands-off approach? Well, this is interesting. The, the approach that is generally associated with the Islamic State is kind of the inspirational angle, the fact that they will try to inspire sympathizers in the West to 
carry out lone wolf attacks to just go shoot up a mall, go shoot up a you know community center like they did in in, in San Bernardino. That is something that we have seen more of an attempt uh, to to adopt from Al Qaeda than we have the sort of the the flexible approach that we've seen with Islamic State attacks in, in Europe. There's, there are kind of various models that the Islamic State gets to use. Um, they don't have to focus on just the flexible approach. The flexible approach seems to be the more centrally driven, those that people are sent out from Syria and Iraq to, to Europe, whereas the inspirational approach is what they've tended to use uh, in the U.S. And that's something that I think al-Qaeda has tried to kind of steer towards uh, more so than the, the flexible approach, at least from what we've seen so far. CQ intelligence reporter Ryan Lucas on the contrast between ISIS and al-Qaeda that intelligence officials are detecting. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud.